Amen. Everybody good this morning? About six of you are good. That's good. It's awesome. My name is Michael Page. If you don't know me, some of you guys in this room may know me. Uh, some of you guys may be like, who is this random guy preaching this week? Uh, my name is Michael Page. I am the uh, lead pastor at Connection Church in Savannah, Georgia. Um, and I just want to tell you what an honor it is to be filling in for my pastor today as um, we guys are jumping into the week two of a, of a new series you guys are going through. And my, it's, it's an honor for me and my wife both. Um, anytime we come back to Statesboro and, and get a chance to preach or just to be able to come to church here, it is always an honor and a privilege to be able to be before our brothers and sisters that literally sent us out. You guys are our sending church, and we just want to give you um, just our thanks and praise because you, but through your generosity, through uh, just the love that you poured out um, on us, we were able to do what we're doing in Savannah, Georgia right now, and God is just doing so many cool things in that city, and it's because of what started in this place. That's pretty cool, right? It's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's God. It's good. So we're on week two of guilt or grace, and we're talking about generosity this week. And, and I, some people call me crazy, but I really, I enjoy talking about money I, because everybody else feels like it's kind of awkward. It's, in church life, it's one of those things that you don't speak of, right? Don't talk about money, Pastor, right? But I, when, I, when I start thinking about the Bible, when I start looking through Scripture, I see Jesus, I see one in every three sermons that Jesus preached in Scripture was on money. Like, think about in our culture today in America, if every pastor, one out of every three sermons was on money, what would happen? Nobody would be here, right? And so my heart is that today you would hear this from a place of grace and not guilt. You would hear this from a place of God wants our hearts, not our pockets. And so I love the, the title of this series because the title of this series is, is talking about grace and how the grace is what should, should, should fill us in, in every way. And, and as we follow Christ, because, we, because in my life, I'm not sure about you, I, I never drift towards grace. I never drift towards uh, just loving God more. I never drift towards following Jesus closer. I drift towards sin. I'm not sure about you guys. Does anybody else drift towards sin or is it just me, right? We drift towards sin, so we, we have to consciously put our minds in a place of grace. We, we, we left to ourselves, we always drift towards religion, and that's not what we want. And so I want to pray again because I, I want to honor the Lord this morning, and I want, to, I want him to be the one who preaches. I want him to be the one that teaches today, and I want him to be the one that's lifted high today. So let's pray, let's pray really quick before we jump into this. And so, Father God, we love you, we praise you, we honor you, we adore you, God, because you are the only one that deserves honor, glory, and praise. God, we lift you high this morning. God, I'm thankful for this church, this body of believers. I pray this morning that you would bless them, God, that you would draw them near to you, Father. I pray that you would unify them at their hearts, God, that they would just be about one mission, about seeing your name made famous to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that you would be made famous this morning, God, that you would teach us your word, God, that you would make much of yourself and less of me, God, that you would be the king of kings to us today in our hearts as we look to you to, to teach us about generosity this morning. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, I just wanted to, because I told you already, money's kind of the awkward topic in church, right? And so what I've learned in my life, um, I, I've, I just wanted to share probably one of the most awkward moments of church in my life. Anybody want to hear about this? Okay, so I, one time, I grew up in a Baptist church. So I, I like to tell people I'm a recovering Baptist, right? And so uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, Georgia, of all places, right down the road. Everybody knows anybody from Brooklyn here? 
All right, a few of us good. And so I went to the First Baptist Church in Brooklyn, Georgia. Small church at the time, maybe 150, 200 people. And my dad was very, I mean, he wanted, I mean, he, he made sure his kids were in line. He made sure this was, you know, you're going to pay attention in church. You're going to sing. You're going to sit down. You're going to give the offering. You're going to do all those things, right? And so whenever I, you know, we had this understanding, like if I was ever cutting up in church and my dad gave me that look, everybody knows that look. It's kind of like the Samuel L. Jackson look, you know, with the raise, it's like, go to, Meet me in the kitchen. So he met, I had to go meet him in the kitchen, and I had to get my, my discipline, right? And so what would happen is there was this wooden spoon in the, in the, uh, in the, in the kitchen at the, at the church. And any time that I would, my, my dad believed in corporal punishment, which is, it's okay, guys. I know it's 2021, but we're going to go there, okay? But I would have to meet him in the kitchen. And so that was the longest walk of shame that I've ever had in my life. So I would have to walk. I tried to walk around the church two times before I met him, right? I tried to get there as long as I could. And so, and so, that's, so that's what it's about. So I, and then so many times, so many years later, like looking back, like his love for me and his love for his kids to know Jesus and, and follow Jesus was the, what motivated him in that. But it was such an awkward moment to have to get up for my friends to say, I got to go get my licks. I'll see you all later if I make it, right? And so, but this morning, I want to create for you a 40-minute awkward moment in church if this is where your heart's at. So, because we're going to talk about generosity, and I believe that the gospel creates generous people. If you're a believer in Christ this morning and the gospel has affected you and has changed your life, it has created in you a generous heart. But we need to settle something before we get going. If you're a note taker, write this down. Um, side note, there's not going to be any uh, verses on Scripture this morning. So for those of you that didn't bring your Bible because you've been depending on that for so long, we got you today, right? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll be there today in verses 19. Um, we're going to hit some... Um, to 24, and then we'll hit some in 25 to 34. But I want to establish something today before we get going too fast. Um, and in case you haven't already noticed, I'm a little bit of a faster talker than Brandon. Uh, I, it's not that he doesn't, you know, I, I get really excited about talking about the Word of God. I get excited about talking about what God's done in my life, about what God wants to do in your life. And I, I just, so just, just buckle up, okay? So, so here's, the, here's the thing I want to establish with you this morning. Um, generosity is not something that God wants from you. Generosity is something that God wants for you. Generosity is not something that God wants from you. It's something that God wants for you. Uh, Brandon said something last week that, that I want to focus in on with you this morning. He said that God's vision is worth our investment. Can we agree with that this morning? Can we, right? I'm an interactive pastor, so I need you to like, give me something, okay? We agree, okay? So God's vision is worth our investment. But I think the problem is, for most of us in this room, sometimes we have a vision problem. Sometimes we, have, we don't see things clearly. The filter that we're looking from through doesn't, doesn't compute, and, it, and it's controlled by the way that the, the lens is, is, is we're, that we're seeing from is controlled by the things of our past or the things that we're currently involved in, and we have to get into this right place of, of seeing Scripture rightly to be able to understand what Jesus is teaching on generosity. It's multiple subjects, but generosity especially. And so there's two lenses that I want to kind of just from the jump, jump on you with this is that the first lens that we are tempted to look through when we're talking about generosity or we're talking about serving or we're talking about going is the moral lens, right? I, I, I do these things, I don't do these things, and then God loves me, right? Has anybody ever fallen to that before? I, I've got to do this, and I, I, I got not to do this, and then God will love me, and I'll be able to go to heaven, God has saved me, but I need to live this way to please God. Good deeds equals heaven, right? That's, 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 that's what you call religion. If you've grown up in church, it's, easily, it's really easy for you to fit into that mold. But 
I got some good news. That's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's not what God, it's not that God doesn't have this moral vision for his people because he does, but, but you can't live for Jesus without Jesus. And so many of us try to do that. And in Savannah, we're going through a series right now in Revelation. And last week, we looked at the church of Ephesus, and we saw how they had lost their first love. Jesus comes to them, writes them a note, and says, listen, or a letter, and says, listen up. This is what you're doing. You're serving, you're loving and your neighbors, you're, you're making sure there's no false teaching happening. You're doing all these great things. But I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. So you're doing all this stuff, but you've lost sight of me. You've lost sight of Jesus. And so what, what I've learned is doing good things with the wrong heart is a bad thing. And we need to understand today as we look into this topic, it was, if we're looking through moral lenses, we're going to miss it. Because what happens is if, if this is the way that you approach life as you follow Jesus, the moral lens, at best, you'll be self-righteous. But at worst, you'll be full of shame. Because what will happen is you'll fail and you'll pretend not to fail and then you'll hide your struggles and then you'll live in shame and you'll always be going back and forth from struggling with shame or struggling with self-righteousness and none of those are effective for the kingdom. And our heart today is that we would see there's another way that God's called us to live, to look through is the redemptive lens. God has redeemed us. He has rescued us. He has bought us back with a price. God has made a way through Jesus. He has saved us from sin and death. The Holy Spirit has filled us if you're in Christ. And he's transforming you and making you into a new creation. That's good news, right? We can get excited this morning. It's okay. We can get excited. It's awesome to, to think about everything I do flows from my relationship with Jesus. What I give, where I serve, my marriage, my relationships, my family flows from my relationship with Jesus. But the problem that we have as Western Christians, and this is what I've had in my life, is that we ask God for instructions. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Right. Show me what to do and I'll, and I'll do it. But he, he's wanting to give you a relationship, not a list of check marks. He's wanting to give you a relationship to be with him and not something for you to check off a box in your walk with him. But humanity has always struggled with exchanging this incredible relationship with Jesus for a religion to follow instead of a savior to follow. And we're called to be with him, not to just do life for him. Anybody else in that boat? They awake this morning? New guys hitting us hard, right? We're called to be with him, not to just do life for him. So all the things that we do for God overflows from our position of being loved by God, not so that we can earn his love. So everybody in here, I'll tell you this this morning, everybody in this room nods their head, amen, pastor, amen, brother. But we all struggle living this way, don't we? I do. We all do. It's, it flows from love, not for love. And, and we, we talk about this topic of generosity coming from a place of grace instead of guilt. And this is the place that we've got to start. The redemptive lens of our salvation through the gospel of Jesus. So this morning, a quick, just a quick survey, just in your heart, where, what lens are you looking through this morning? The moral lens or the redemptive lens? Because remember, generosity is not something that God wants from us. Is something that God wants for us because God doesn't have needs. Everybody's like, what, what? God doesn't have needs, right? There's no need that God has. He's not sitting in heaven, sitting there like, there's so much that I want to do in the world, uh, but that I want to do in Statesboro, around the world, that I just can't afford it. 
You know, if only those people at Connection Church would just give me some of their time, some of their treasures and money and talents, then I can do the work that I plan to do and the world would know me and be blessed. Okay, that's not what God's saying. We serve a sovereign God who's in control of all things. Right? God doesn't have needs. But he uses our gifts, he uses our talents, he uses our treasures and time to work in our lives and in the world. But he doesn't have needs, but it's something that he wants for us. We don't give to get back from God. There's a lot of, there's a prosperity gospel going around our country, around the world right now that teaches you give to God and you'll get back a hundredfold. You'll, you give to God and you'll, guys, I want to tell you something. If this is why you're giving, you're not giving to God, you're giving to yourself. If you're giving to God to get something, you're giving to yourself. And this morning, I want to turn that on its head because Scripture does say that God will multiply our resources when we give, but he does that so that we will be able to have even more to be generous with. And that's the heart behind the gospel. And our our generosity is a response to what God has done through Jesus. And that's what I want to jump in this morning on chapter 6 of this um, Matthew, is that he deserves our first and our best. If you have a notepad, like we're going to talk about first and best this morning. What, what, in your, what in your life gets your first and best? And he calls us to use those resources for the world just like Jesus used his for us. Have you ever thought about the resources that Jesus used to save you? It's incredible. One of our value statements, I mentioned earlier in Savannah, for generosity is we believe that the gospel creates generous people. And why I believe this is throughout the gospel, God has invited us, me and you. If we're saved in this place this morning, you've been set into a new kingdom. You have a new heart. You have a new citizenship. You're not just somebody from Statesboro, just kind of living life until until they die. You have a new identity in Christ. And this morning, you've been invited into this rescue mission that we see from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. And we find this incredible story of reconciliation, redemption, and rescue. And at the center of all of that, we see a plan to see God's glory and love reach the ends of the earth, to see his name made famous among the nations. That's something exciting to be a part of, guys. And when, you, when you're born again and when your eyes are open and you see that you've been created with a purpose and that purpose is to join God in that mission of seeing the lost found and saved and the broken and hurting restored and the sick and the lame healed and the world made new, you begin to live very differently, right? It's, nothing's the same anymore. And some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Well, maybe this, maybe this morning is the morning that God decides to open your eyes to this. God's mission is worth our investment. Did you know in the Bible, there's 200 verses that reference prayer. There's around 250 to 260 verses, depending on what translation you use, that reference faith. In the Bible, there's 2,000 verses in the Bible that that talk about how we should steward our resources. 2,000. Jesus talks about this topic more than he talks about prayer or faith. If you do the math, one out of every 10 verses in the New Testament deals with money. 16 out of 38 parables of Jesus deals with money. 25% of Jesus' teaching deal with financial matters. But why? Why? Think about this for a second. Jesus didn't talk about money because he needed money. Remember, Jesus has no needs. God has no needs. He talked about money because he knew 
that what we do with our resources or how we think about our resources is the greatest indicator to where our heart truly belongs. Can we agree with that this morning? Can we agree with that this morning? Because I think that's true in my life. Jesus always, in the Bible, in our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, he always goes after the heart, not the action. Because the fruit of a changed heart is actional. If my heart is changed, I'm going to do things that, that, that Jesus loves, and I'm going to follow him because I love my Lord. The best way, I think, to, to indicate to where your heart truly is, is is what are you doing with your time, your treasure, your talent, your resources, your money? Because what I know as I read Scripture, Jesus never teaches on generosity to get money out of your, park, out of your pocket, but to get idols out of your heart. And that's the whole thing of the gospel is to see idols removed that you're worshiping before Christ. This morning we all struggle with that. And this is the main idea of this passage. Let's look at verse 24 before we jump in of chapter 6. It says this, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in this chapter, what Jesus is really going to, after he's going after this idea of bondage to money, and he shows us how to get free from it. Because we all struggle, right? And so there's two questions that I told you about before. What gets the first and the best of our time, our treasure, and our talent? Think about that in your life. What gets the first and the best of your time, your treasure, and your talent? Is it God and his mission? Is it God and his mission, or is it, or is it you? Your family. The second question is, what's the one thing that drives everything you do with your time, treasure, and your talent? Is it comfort, security, pleasure? Um, what, is, it, is it fear, or is it the mission of God? Because what the, if you can answer the question of what kingdom are you, are you living for, you can answer the question of what you're putting your trust in. And so let's look at, let's look at the top, verse 19. Let's look where Jesus starts. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And so this passage comes right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. What I see is he starts out with this word don't, right? If, you're, you, know, if you live in the United States of America, we don't like the word don't, right? It's, it's kind of bred into us at a young age. Don't do this. I'm gonna, don't touch the button. What are we going to do? We're going to touch the button right? We're going to push the limits, okay? But what happens is he starts with the word don't, and I, and I think we focus on that word don't, and we get distracted by, into thinking negatively about money or resources. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And so, but in the next verse, verse 20, he says, but store up. Don't store up, but store up. And so the next verse, he says, store up. So I, don't, I want to reorient our hearts a little to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, store up treasures for yourself. That feels a little dirty to say, right, in church? Store up treasures for yourself. That sounds a little weird. But he, it's a positive thing. He wants you to store up treasures for yourself. He just wants you to do it in the right way. Right? That's what the Bible is saying here. But how? Look, throughout Scripture, we see this treasure principle happening, this investment principle happening in eternal things. And it's playing out in very common ways in our life as well, giving God our first and our best. Look at the story of Cain and Abel in, the, in Genesis. One gave their first and best. One gave just enough. One gave their leftovers. And I want to tell you this morning, in this room, we fall into one of those two categories. I'm giving my first and best 
or I'm giving my just enough for my leftovers. Right? I mean, I feel, I feel like we all fall into that because there's not a lot of middle ground in that. But throughout Scripture, that's what we see. So giving God our first and our best. What this does is it strengthens your faith and it refocuses your eyes and attention on the eternal purposes of God. That's what we want, right? Who in here wants to have their mind, their eyes set on the eternal purposes of God? 17 of us. Okay, we can start a connect group and we can save the world, okay? We can do it. My heart today is that one, that we would see that your purposes in life, if you're following Christ, should align with God's purposes. And today as we jump into this, this is not even, this is no different. But that word don't right there is, is trying to save you. When Jesus says don't store up your treasures on earth, he's trying to save you from anxiety and from your need or desire to be God, the God of your life. He says, don't store up in such a way that you feel like you have to control it. What he's doing is he's reminding you that you don't control as much as you think you control. He's telling you that you control a lot less than you think you do. And our time, our treasure, our talent, these are things that we steward, not things that we own, right? We steward our resources. We don't own anything in this world. Nothing you have, nothing you have had, nothing you will have is anything other than a blessing from God. I'm telling you right now, that's the truth. Look in the Bible. If you haven't lived it, you will live it. But if you really believe that Jesus says what he says about eternity in the Bible, this is just common sense. Trusting God with everything. Trusting God with our resources. Trusting God with our money, our time, our treasure, our talent. If you go to a financial advisor, maybe you have, maybe this size crowd, there's probably a financial advisor in the room. So if I'm wrong, just don't tell anybody until after the sermon. But most financial advisors, what they'll do is they'll tell you how to think about your resources. They'll say, don't just think about 30, year, 30 days down the road. Think about 30 years down the road, right? But Jesus is saying here that we should think 30 million years ahead most of all. Think about if you thought 30 million years ahead with your time, treasure, and talent. How would you spend your money, your time? How would you give your talents to the church, the body of Christ? It would be different. And then he continues in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where you put most of your treasure is where your heart will belong. This morning, think about that. Where you are putting most of your treasure at is where your heart truly is. It doesn't matter what your mouth says. It matters what your actions say. This morning, that's the truth. If the majority of your treasure is here on the earth, that's where your heart's going to be. C.S. Lewis once said that wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. That's not what we want. So what you do with your resources will always give you three things as I, as I think about this scripture. The three things that it will do is it will reveal to you what you love the most. What you do with your time, treasure, and talent. It will reveal to you what you love the most. The second thing it will do, it will reveal to you what you trust in the most. There's a lot of people that come to church and go on mission trips and give and serve, but in reality, they're still depending on themselves more than God. The third thing it'll do is it, it, it reveals what kingdom that you're living for. This morning, what kingdom are you living for? If we're putting our time, our treasure, and our talent where our mouth is, if we're not doing that, then maybe our heart isn't where we say it is. The American church is riddled with this kind of living. We say one thing, but we act another way. God has created us to make an eternal impact, as I read in Scripture. 
And so we should use what we've been blessed with to accomplish his purposes and not our own. I, I realized whenever we first, whenever Brandon said, hey, you want to come preach? I was like, yeah, that'd be, I'll be honored to. He said, I said, what's the topic? He said, generosity and money. I was like, is there anybody else that can do it or is it, am I the last one on the list, right? And I realized that whenever we started this, there was going to be a quiet room, but I, I, I'm with you, okay? When I was preparing for this, this was, this was really convicting me as well. And so I think in identifying characteristics of Christians, of Christians in this world, and I think you would agree, hey, I'm a Christian, what should identify you, I believe, is that they should be incredibly generous. Can we agree with that? If you're a Christian, you should be incredibly generous with all that you have because you realize that you're stewards because we believe, remember, that the gospel creates generous people, right? We, we, we established that. And, and how we give should not coincide with the world. It should amaze the world. What we do with our time, our treasure, our talent should amaze the world around us. It should be like those people are crazy, right? There's something happening in that place that doesn't make sense. I need to go try it out. I think you'll see what's happening. As followers of Jesus, we belong to a different kingdom. We're not, on, we're, not, we're not living in the kingdom of this world anymore. Our citizenship is in heaven. You've been bought with a price. You're, you're, you have a king, not a president. You have a king of, you, you are to worship, to adore, to love, to follow. So my question is, does our standard of living and giving say to the world that our love for Jesus is what motivates everything else in our life? Do we live in a way that doesn't make sense if eternity is not real? Which that's what it should be. Our generosity should scream, I'm living for an eternal kingdom and I'm invested in the plans and the purposes of my Savior. That's the heart. Let's look into verse 22. This is where it gets kind of weird. Jesus always does this. He's like, what? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? So at first glance, I'm looking at this and I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? I thought we were talking about money. Now we're talking about light and darkness. What's going on, right? If on the surface, it appears like this is not talking about money, but it is. What you see, this is talking about spiritual sight. For example, some of the Pharisees would have been listening to Jesus in this moment. And these guys would have been listening to Jesus, and they had spiritual eyes that were diseased. They couldn't see clearly. They were coveting money, and they were coveting wealth. They were living in spiritual darkness under the disguise of a spiritual leader. They were slaves to their own greed. And in the same way, when, we, when the way that we look at the resources that God has blessed us with becomes distorted, it affects every area of our life. When you, when you see your time, your treasure, your talents as ways to bring you security, to bring you happiness, you begin to make a lot of bad decisions, right? Have you ever looked at the American debt have you ever looked at uh, your debt, right? Have you ever looked at the things that we do because we want security and happiness in this life? Oh, we can just put on the credit card. Oh, we can just figure this out later, right? We make a lot of bad decisions when those things are the things that drive us. But when you see your resources properly, when your eyes are full of light, you begin to see yourselves as a steward instead of an owner. I'm a steward of God's resources in my life. How can I serve you, Father? That's it. This concept, what it does it guards your heart against greed. Who here wants to be a greedy person? Anybody? Nobody will raise their hand to that question. We do. 
I, I don't know. Go see Brandon. I'll, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll know what to do. But Luke chapter 12, this is Jesus in a very similar conversation about money. Luke chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, you can write it down, or you can turn there if you, if you, if you want a lot of battle drills in BBS. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, says this, says, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Anytime Jesus starts a conversation and says, watch out, be on guard, we need to pay attention. I'm not sure if there's any Bible scholars in this room. Watch out, be on guard, do those things, because this is the Lord of all creation telling you to do this, right? Pay attention. He says, because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. Be on guard and watch out against all greed. And so as I look at this, everywhere in the New Testament where greed is mentioned, it, it says that it's idolatry. If you're greedy, you're serving an idol. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say this about anything else. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't say watch out for, uh, be on guard against adultery. Watch out or be on guard against dishonesty, right? But why not? Because when you're committing adultery, you know it, right? You, you, don't, you don't all of a sudden look up and say, wait a minute, you're not my spouse, right? You know, that's not what we do, right? We've never done that. If, and that, my heart is that, but, but greed hides itself in our life. It hides itself in the deep crevices of our hearts, and it blinds us in a way that other sins don't. And this is why he highlights this in verse 24 that we read at the beginning. He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As I read this, the word serve literally means that you depend on it for security. It's almost the idea or the image, I'm working for something that, I, that, that I'm serving that will give me what I need. So I'm looking for that money, I'm looking at that job, I'm looking for these things as something that I'm serving first to give me the things that I need for my security and my help. In some translations, if we got any uh, you know, OGs in here with the King James Version, anybody? Okay. Um, you know, we, get, we got the, the word money in there which say mammon. And the word mammon, is, while, while that word does mean money, there's a deeper meaning to the word mammon. It means there's a spiritual reality at play when it comes to the word mammon. It's saying Jesus is warning you here, and he's saying that you're being shaped by the world that you live in in ways that you're unaware. That's why you need to dive in deeper to Jesus. He needs to be able to see into your heart. You need to give him the first and your best of all those things because what? Those things increase your faith and direct your eyes back on him. Jesus is saying, watch your wallet because greed is tricky and it's sneaky. And if you're left alone, what are you going to do? You're going to build bigger barns. You're going to build bigger storage bins. And you'll try to build a better world for yourself and a better life. And you'll look to those things to try to save you. And then as a badge of honor and say, look, I'm a good person. I'm successful. But what God is saying here is those things won't be able to save you. He's saying, watch your wallet or you'll abandon me and think you can do it better. He's saying, you won't serve money and me. You'll serve money or me. And that's what he's saying in this place. Guys, listen, it's not a sin to enjoy the blessings that God's poured out on you. Paul tells Timothy that in 1 Timothy. God is giving you these blessings to enjoy. But these things make terrible gods. Money, possessions make terrible gods. Can we get an amen on that one, right? I've served, I've served many gods that, that were not God. 
We weren't meant to be owned by enjoyment. We weren't meant to enjoy God and live our life. Uh, you know, we, we, were meant to, we were meant to enjoy God and live our life on his purposes and plans. That's where we're called to get our satisfaction, leveraging everything in this life for him, our time, our treasure, our talent, to see his mission carried out to the ends of the earth. And as we get ready to close, I want to just share something really quick. There's three people in this room. I know there's, you know, I can't count, 500 maybe, I don't know. Uh, we don't have this many people where I go to church. But, um, but we, there's three people in this room. There's, there's the spender. This person likes to spend money. Money is the key to their, listen, don't be elbowing your spouse during this time, okay? Money is the key to their happiness, okay? Do we, do we have any spenders in this room? I'm a spender. Michael's a spender, yeah. I'm a, we got five. We got a support group, Okay. So they spend money, they take that trip, they, they're bold in their gifts, their goal is maximizing their enjoyment in life. They, they want to enjoy the moment. Anybody have FOMO, right? Have the, usually those people, spenders, right? Savers, we have any savers in the room? Yeah, a few of us, a few more of us. Savers are someone who, by contrast, who thinks that money's greatest value is providing security for tomorrow, Right? You see that? So they limit spending, focusing, uh, they're, they're, they focus on increasing wealth and accumulating wealth over time to, to help with the future. But what happens, guys, is these two kinds of people, what happens is they usually get married. Right? Right? They, those two people get married. And what happens, that God's sovereign, right? You have, you got the spender and you got the savior, you got the, you got the savior and God says, you know what, I'm going to get y'all hooked up, get y'all married, you know? But guess what? Guess, this, is what the, this is what the problem is. Both are serving money, just in different ways. They look to money to provide something absolutely essential for life. Because don't, don't get it wrong. When I said who's a saver, saver in this room, I got a lot of self-righteous looks. I'm a saver. <laughs> when I got a spender, I got a lot of wives saying, her husband's saying, like, this one right here, can't keep no money in my account. Right? But you both are worshiping money to be your security and your happiness. The last one, a steward. This person is who looks to God as their primary source of fulfillment and security. They hold their resources loosely with all of it surrendered to God. I want to be a good steward, Lord, because we don't see money as the primary key to happiness because God is my primary key to happiness in life. And this is what he talks about. And a lot of you guys are reading this and you're like, Jesus, why did you talk about money? And they go straight in talking about birds and wildflowers. Like, what are you doing, Lord? He goes in, but this is the people that he's talking to. He goes into verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or what about your body, but what you will wear. It's, it's, isn't life more than food and, and your body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or are gathering to barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment of his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field that grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned in like one of these. And so what you see here is Jesus is talking to the savers and the spenders. What he's doing is he's saying the birds is directed to the savers. They see the money as security. He's saying if we don't have enough in the bank, we don't have enough for a rainy day, we won't have enough to leave our kids. Jesus is saying look at the birds. They don't save, yet God supplies all of their needs. And then he goes on and talks to the spenders. Jesus is saying, look at the wildflowers. 
Look at the wildfires. They don't worry about not having enough money to have the latest clothes or the nicest car to drive or the biggest houses. And look at how beautifully God has clothed them. And then Jesus ends this discussion in verse 33. And I think we all need to glean this when it talks about money. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. So this morning, what gets the first and the best of your time, your treasure, and your talent? Is it Jesus? What drives everything else in your life? What comes first in your life? Does your satisfaction in spending come first? If so, you're probably in debt and not much into saving. Does saving for security get your first? If it does, you probably have a pretty sweet 401k, but your standard of giving is probably lower than that. Or does God come first? There's nothing wrong with spending or saving, but what? But does investing in God and his purposes come first? That's the question that we need to ask about godly stewardship. Because this is what I know. And hear this today. God doesn't bless us with things or money so that we can increase our standard of living. God blesses us so that we can increase our standard of giving. That's the heart that we need to see our money from. Everybody gives their first and best to something. In this room, everybody does. You give your first and your best to your job, to your wife, to your kids, to your hobby, to, 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 to many things, to God. But my challenge for you and your family today is to begin to give your first and your best to God and his mission and to watch how he'll grow your faith and watch how he'll build his church here as you're united going after the mission of God, where he's moving, where he's going. Because, guys, we are called to be stewards of what God has blessed us with. And a steward is someone who manages something that belongs to somebody else. Are you a good manager? Are you a good steward in this place today? Are we leveraging our resources for kingdom purposes? It's the only place to invest where they'll last forever. It's heaven. And those who are wise realize that and arrange their lives accordingly. Guys, it's common sense this morning. And if our time on earth is short and eternity is forever, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and on eternity because he promises to, to these things to those who love him first. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it. God, we thank you for giving us your son. I pray this morning for the person in this room that is far from you. God, I pray that you would draw them near. God, I pray that we would be a church that goes after the one. I pray that we would be a church that gives you our first and our best in all things. God, we praise you. We thank you for um, giving us your best in Jesus. For, for loving us enough to, to, to sacrifice your son. I pray this morning that just the gospel would come alive into someone's heart this morning and change that person, Father, forever. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.